Hello and welcome to Unmuddled, the podcast by The Kite Factory. Today, you're joining myself, Christian Taylor, the Head of Planning, and Rick Moore, Managing Partner of Strategy um, at The Kite Factory. And we are talking about blunt truths and sharper strategies, what we discovered at FWorks Global 2022. FWorks Global is a week-long session run by the IPA, International Institute of uh, Practitioners of Advertising, uh, who are championing effectiveness in the advertising sector. During the week, uh, we get the chance to uh, revisit some of the effectiveness essentials and how we apply them to our media and advertising. Really is a chance for us to champion effectiveness and ensure that we're continuing our effectiveness culture in, in the advertising sector. Um, Rick, welcome. Hello, my friend. How are you? You all right? Very good. Thank you very much. Um, so today we're just going to share, we spent the week um, sort of watching some of the highlights and we're going to share some of the uh, key findings from, from the week ahead. So we, we titled the session Blunt Truths, Sharper Strategies. And I'm just going to outline the three blunt truths that we found in the, the session over the week. So the first one that we found was that really there are no silver bullets. Uh, what we mean by that is essentially um, what you've got in your effectiveness toolbox, we need to go back in there and find the tools that we can apply in this new environment that we're operating in. Uh, the second blunt truth is effectiveness has never been more important. Um, obviously, in the context of the volatility of the economy and everything else that's happening at the moment, that was very much the setting of the conversations that were had in the week. And finally, the continuing power of brands. Um, really important to highlight the benefit of having a strong brand, especially in recessionary times, and how that can impact your uh, long-term effectiveness. Um, so, Rick, uh, let's just sort of unpack some of the themes that we've heard that helped address some of those blunt truths. So what were the sharper strategies? Um, could you give me some of your thoughts on how the no silver bullets blunt truth we might address? Well, uh, I mean, yeah, great setup. And um, I think the blunt truth is there's nothing, there's not a new metric or there's not a new methodology out there. You said it well yourself, it's the existing toolbox we have to use. It's how can you use those time-honored methods to find out what's going on. Uh, I mean, taking a step back, effectiveness is such an important bedrock of our industry. And I think of anything the IPA does uh, beyond lobbying uh, on behalf of the industry, I think it's their championing of effectiveness is the most important thing they do because it gives us the license to go out to brands to marketeers and say, look, advertising can work. This is what it can deliver. Uh, and it's almost like um, a strategist Christmas uh, for what's global in that you get to see um, this these awards every two years, the IPA data bank entrance, the, the IPA effectiveness awards. I had an old client describe them as the Rolls Royce of awards, and they really are the amount of rigor and evidence and effort that goes into writing an IPA effectiveness paper. I mean, it's a three month undertaking. It's effectively writing a dissertation um, to explain why your campaigns work and they make fascinating re reading. And they, they point to the very best of what our industry does. And there's so much you can learn from them. So, uh, you know, this time you're always pouring over the papers, find them fascinating. The 2022 awards kick the week off, uh, allowing us to see some of the biggest stories. We'll come and touch on them as we go through the podcast. And then it went into the FWorks conference and, and hearing from practitioners on the stage, hearing keynote talks, hearing panel discussions, it became very clear why this, this no silver bullet phrase came from, which is everybody was talking about things we know 
And again, if you don't feel you know effectiveness, I would absolutely commend some of the IPA's training. There's a wonderful uh, effectiveness essential certificate and there's an advanced certificate of effectiveness. Both qualifications fantastic. I think the first one's about 10 hours of study, the second one's 30 hours of study. Um, but just they give you everything you need in the toolbox. And nothing I heard last week changed any of those things we talked about, you know, the importance of econometrics, uh, the importance of measuring and knowing where you're going. Um, so it's how we apply them. And that's why the IPA effectiveness paper is so interesting, because we get a sense of what is the very best in the industry doing and how are they using effectiveness to show that it's worked? And, and that really stood out for me. So I think that's why we, we have that as our first blunt truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, looking back to some of the the toolbox, and now going back to that analogy, some of the things that we sort of pulled out was uh, this idea of consistency. Um, so looking at some of the award papers that came into the IPA Effectiveness Awards this year, actually some of them were brands returning from actually not in the too distant past so um they were coming back and showing how they were consistently applying these effectiveness uh techniques to to continue to grow their brands so the likes of tesco uh, mcdonald's and sick kids the brands that you might expect um, are continuing to show the best behaviors in that space uh, another concept which we heard around some of the talks was um, a concept the idea of bothism um, so this is the concept of balance and thinking about actually um, that we shouldn't lean into one more than the other and um, make sure that we're not sort of taking a direction of our brands or our advertising or our practices um, into one more than the other. For example, going too far into short term advertising, focusing too much on short term effectiveness, but actually ensuring that you've got that balance in uh, the metrics that you're measuring and the uh, goals of the advertising that you're doing over time as well. Um, so I think that probably wraps up some of the concepts around no silver bullets. Um, the second blunt truth we said was effectiveness has never been more important. Um, and I think this was highlighted in several talks, um, essentially looking at the um, ec economic environment in which we're sort of operating now, it's really important to take a step back and understand what is happening in your sector um, and looking at whether um, you're experiencing uh, inflationary prices, um, but actually some brands or sectors even still experiencing challenges with a hangover from the pandemic or even um, from the war in Ukraine. Um, so they might have uh, pressures on their supply chain, for example. So really diagnosing, are you are your prices rising uh, because of uh, consumer demand? Um, or also you sort of having supply chain issues as well? Is that increasing your costs? So that creates, you know, different challenges for different brands. Um, and really, uh, what I sort of took away from a lot of uh, the the conversations that were had in the week um, was looking at how we can optimize um, and really using the tools that we've got to ensure that we can actually optimize within that. And one of the key things obviously is um, looking at pricing. So uh, the godfather of effectiveness, Les Burnett, gave a, a really insightful talk as he always does um, on how to utilize econometric modeling to optimize your pricing. Um, it should be something that would easily fall out of that. So a really useful tool to kind of go and address that, <clears throat> but similarly scrutinize your promotions. Um, so uh, again, 
looking at modeling which can help us show the incrementality of promotions and protecting your price, elastic, price elasticity. Um, so I think you also, there were some other conversations around the, the week, Rick, about grouping sectors and, and yeah. how they work well, together. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Grace Kite, uh, who founded a consultancy called Magic Numbers. I mean, she's somebody uh, we've seen before. Um, she spoke very well at Thinkbox a couple of times. And she's one of those people you see on a, a, a conference schedule and you go, that's a talk I want to go to and, and as ever didn't disappoint this time around. Um, she made this really interesting um, description of sectors into three buckets. And uh, it was an observation that I think she was saying they'd made in the coronavirus pandemic, but then applying it forward to the cost of living crisis. They looked at categories in terms of, did people think they're going to spend um, the same as they have done in increased level of spend or less spend uh, projected on 2023? And what she did was um, this enabled her to group them into victim sectors, sectors which will see a drop in spend in 2023. So the examples would be things like the furniture category, uh, electronic and, and high ticket price electrical, um, food delivery and homeware and theater and concerts. You know, those areas where people feel they could probably prune back on and make savings on until things are more affordable. That she called the victim sectors, those who would feel, um, you know, the real bite uh, of the of, uh, recessionary uh, climate. In the middle secure sectors, those which were maintaining spend, examples of things like home improvement, gyms, fitness, beauty products, clothes and shoes, sports events and cinemas, you know, those things close to what really matter to us, close to what to, to our, our passions and our hobbies. Those, you know, people prioritizing their spends to protect those. She called those the secure sectors. And then finally, those are the sectors where they'll see increased investment. Um, and the study she was looking at, the OCNC survey data she was quoting this on, she talked about uh, eating and drinking out, international travel, domestic travel, and groceries. That was very interesting because they're all areas that were held back by um, what we saw in the coronavirus pandemic. They're things that people were denied. And therefore, I think if you have any sort of savings and you can avoid the worst of the bite of the cost of living crisis, they're things that people are going to want to champion their savings into because they miss, they want to get that time back. She called those beneficiary sectors, sectors where they will see a boost. So you get victim sectors, secure sectors, beneficiary sectors. And why that's important is that she was describing different situations inform what you should take as your next steps. So if you're in a beneficiary sector, um, make the most of the opportunity with big bets in your advertising plan because it's a, it's an optimal time to try and do that. For those insecure sectors, look for low-cost media buys to get extra share of voice for cheap and high ROI campaigns. Make the most of efficiencies. And again, that resonated very much with us here at the Kite Factory, how much we talk about unpacking channels around owned, earned, shared, and paid. You know, looking for those performance, looking for those optimizations, looking at, at, at positive ROIs, that really resonated with me. But that was really interesting for the victim categories. I mean, you talked before about Mark Ritz and um, championing of bothism. Again, that really applies during F-Works because bothism, you know, he talks that idea of you don't back one thing over the other. I think the great example is people say, oh, it's the death of TV. No, it's TV and other things. This bothism means it's not your cake and eating it. And that's the essence of Bennett and Fields' landmark, the long and the short of it. It's not about just doing short or just doing long. It's the two held together. Uh, and Ritson's written very eloquently about um, brands navigating the recession, you know, getting the balance of the two, but making the right calls. And this is where those victim sectors come in. In Grace Kite's writing, she talks about um, if you think you're in a victim sector, 
go quiet unless you've done the maths and assure share of voice is cheap enough that you're going to see a return on your investment. Again, at the heart of effectiveness is that return on marketing investment. Do you see the return for the spend you put out there? Mm -hmm. So if you're a victim sector, being more cautious, trying to weather the storm. And I think as we go into the cost of living crisis, that was writ large across this FWorks. You know, how can effectiveness help brands navigate? And I think that's the thing the coronavirus taught us is you can get through this if you can navigate it, if you make the right calls quickly and efficiently going through. And I think that was a key message for me coming out of it. So, so Grace Kites works fantastic. If you want to check them out, Magic Numbers is the name of the company. Uh, I know they're on Twitter and they're very good at sharing uh, free research. But um, yeah. that was really fascinating, I thought. Definitely. And I think uh, some of the points you brought out there rang true again for Les Burnett's conversation, which, um, you know, the, thinking about actually maintaining a spend or sort of maintaining it in relevance to your, your competitors um, will be really valuable within a recessionary market. Um, but actually looking at for the opportunities to optimize within that, as you described, depending on the sector you're, sector you're in, um, what he really said that stood out for me is optimized for profit um, and not for efficiency. So um, very much looking at how you can improve, like sustain uh, price elasticity by investing in your brand, um, but also utilizing um, optimizations across whether it be your products, your portfolio, um, your geographies um, within your media investments, um, and then kind of pointed towards the um, sort of the alchemy of creativity um, and the irrational power um, that it can have to have such a multiplier effect on your advertising as well. Um, so all of these principles, I think, uh, are sort of things that we can start to apply um, over the next 12 months, um, considering about media investments. So our final blunt truth that we pulled out from the week was the continuing power of brands. Um, and some of the concepts that we we highlighted um, were the importance of main, uh, maintaining mental mental availability. Now, it's, it's a concept that um, has been championed by the likes of Byron Sharp in How Brands Grow. Um, mental availability is, is very important for ensuring that we, we exist in people's minds, um, but also coppling that with physical availability is, assen is essentially the, the sort of formula for growing brands. Um, Rick, were there any other sort of uh, key takeaways on the concept of mental availability you heard? Oh, um, I thought mental availability, um, well, it's it's really, like I say, it's in Byron Sharp's How Brands Grow, so it's been around um, almost a decade and a half now. But I think there's been a real shift back towards it. If you look in the last sort of 18 months of different award papers, and it was really validated as we saw the the papers getting awarded at the um, Effectiveness Awards at the start of last week. Mental availability was coming back time and time again. And you talk about Lesbonette, Peter Field, his famous co-author of The Long and the Short of It. Um, he's written one of the best papers I've seen so far on the importance of mental availability, um, which he did with um, the Australian Council for Advertising. Um, and they published a paper, it was in summer 2021, it was called To ESOV and Beyond, Excess Share of Voice and Beyond. It was a really interesting paper. In it, they talked about... Um, um, the threats to share a voice about share of voices getting more difficult to measure. Uh, the media marketplace has become increasingly dysfunctional. Creative strength, to your point about creativity, makes a huge difference. You know, the, the great unfair advantage, as the old quote goes, is still absolutely true there. And while share of search, which is a newer metric coming in, is valuable, 
it's not a replacement for share of voice. So how do you navigate around that? And he said, underpinning all of that, the importance of mental availability. Now, again, to everything we said about bothism, it's not mental availability, expense, physical availability. You need the activation now. You need people to go and buy the product. But you can you can make that job a hell of a lot easier if you if you push on mental availability. And in this paper to ESOB and beyond, they prove that campaigns with a very large impact on mental availability have a stronger impact on all business metrics. We're talking about metrics like short-term sales response, long-term market share growth, strengthening pricing, new customer acquisition, customer retention, and brand profit growth. All campaigns that had a very large impact on mental availability saw the best performing scores on all of those metrics. So mental availability, if we think of that as how do you make your brand distinctive? How do you make your brand famous? How are you always on? And I always just say always on doesn't mean 365 days a year. It just means less fallow periods. How are you consistently discoverable? How are you salient? The first brand you think of when you come into a given market. Um, we talk about challenger brand, the lighthouse identity. If you're in market or not in market, you know what that brand stands for. I think all of those unpack out of mental availability. And I think, again, talking about navigating the cost of living crisis, talk about navigating the next year, which will be very tough. Brands that can really push that mental availability will fare really well. And I, I thought that was a key lesson um, reasserted, if you will. There was a lot of reassertion of, of the good fundamentals of effectiveness through, through FWorks last week. And that, and that one really stood out to me. Absolutely. And <clears throat> gives a real strong case for brands to continue to invest in big brand building um, exercises. And one of the um, case studies that really stood out for the week was the Grand Prix winner of the IPA Effectiveness Award, um, which uh, we we would really like to celebrate. Essentially, it was a, a great story written by uh, uh, BCCP and Mondelez International Group um, about Cadbury's, uh, the chocolate brand. So um, Cadbury's essentially have been through a, a tough few years. So being bought by um, uh, international brand, um, they started to see some bad press in the UK and actually saw their sales decline. Um, what some of the key things that, that we really took away from this was the power of the brand and actually going back to this concept of purpose. So um, purpose has been uh, sort of a hot topic over the past few years, um, and it was good to see it sort of come back and, and sort of reference within um, FWorks um, and actually the true power of it in the Grand Prix winning um, IPA effectiveness of paper. Um, so really the, the sort of key takeaways um, from the paper were um, looking at how revisiting um, Cadbury's purpose after a period of sort of uh, dilution and, and uh, uncertainty and, and change, uh, revisiting their purpose, going back to their history and embedding that culture um, across the whole organization meant that it wasn't just about promotion of the brand, it was about the product, it was about the people the employees within the organization who, who could all collectively get behind um, their, uh, their their new strategy. And, and essentially it was uh, revisiting their concept of um, there's glass and a half in everyone, which is going back to their core product of Cadbury's, uh, Cadbury's milk chocolate, um, which brought through this concept of having a generous instinct um, and what, you know, at the core of that idea of generosity, it meant that they could sort of um, feed it out across every single brief that they sent out. They checked every concept um, for this idea of gener generosity. Um, they were able to activate on the short and the long term. 
and bring people into this new idea of, of the brand and generosity overall. What that means is they've seen a 22% um, growth in their um, sales in the an annual period um, and a huge uh, revenue and income driver and sort of they've seen their brand metrics return back to growth. So a real um, good proof point and case for investment in brand, in the brand and building um, uh, the continuing power of brands in this uh, in this current climate as well. I mean, that's it's just such a good story. And also, when we talked all the way through this about the importance of creativity, there's joy in the Cadbury brand and there's joy in the portfolio and they're really good at bringing that to life and they're creative and creating fun. I mean, they've got some of the best examples I've ever seen of gamification of a mainstream brand and brought to life in a really interesting way. I mean, listen, looking at that paper as a media agency, I mean, we can sit here and we can talk about the creative output and you know, great creative agencies bringing great work to the table. I think it throws a gauntlet down for the media agencies. And it's our job is how do we bring creativity into media and, and, and in an effective way? You don't want a hollow um, creativity that doesn't return. But if you think about, okay, we're gonna be given this amazing brand asset, or we're gonna help co-create this um, amazing brand asset with a, with a creative partner. How is that coming to life in the media? How are we using channels to, to to put to serve it in the best possible way in front of in front of where people's eyeballs are going to be. Um, how are we showing behaviour in the way we turn up in media spaces that enhances that creative work? And I think that's a really interesting challenge for us. And again, it's a testament to to that Cadbury's campaign. I think it every level you see of it has that creativity and that joy. And I think that that speaks to a cohesion. I think some of the when we talked about some of those people coming back those award papers time and time again tesco last time last time around grand prix winner getting gold again because they're able to tell the story of you know they their last paper told the story of how they went from on the worst crisis in in british corporate history to creating a brand that the the, the nation love again talk about this paper talking about how they navigated the pandemic mcdonald's in all the papers they write about effectiveness talking about challenges they faced or maybe losing their way slightly but how they've proved effectiveness and getting back on track so strong in those papers, sick kids in the charity sector, a landmark paper that only got silver last time around. They've managed to move that on and build on that platform in just a short two years to go to gold. You know, there's consistency. And I think at the pinnacle of that is the Cadbury's paper. So again, for us as a media agency, how are we working with our creative partners to deliver that for our, for our brands? And I think that starts to inform some of the lessons and takeouts we have of how we answer those blunt truths coming beyond FLOGS. Absolutely. Thanks very much. So I'm going to summarize just some of the points we've covered today. Um, looking back at our blunt truths and our sharper strategies and how you can start to apply them yourselves. Um, so firstly, we said uh, there are no, no new silver bullet approaches. Um, so perhaps we'll start to ask ourselves how we can help our clients make the most of what's available. And what we mean by that is what are the tools have we got in our toolbox that we can help um, address the issues reach back into the effectiveness uh, archives and use some of those concepts that we've explored today. So efficiency, bothism, um, and utilizing short and long-term um, brand building exercises. <clears throat> Secondly, um, effectiveness has never been more important. So we talked about um, this idea of addressing your sector, understanding what's going in your um, environment and how can you start to optimize investments for profit and not efficiency, not ROI, actually looking at how we look at um, using brand, for example, to um, increase your price elasticity and whilst maintaining your investments over time, but tweaking them. 
Finally, the continuing power of brands. So um, how can we uh, continue to build mental availability, utilizing um, the opportunities that might address that we might find in the next few uh, months, whether that be um, an excess share of voice that you may not have had previously, uh, or the opportunity to do that with lower budgets, um, and continuing to unlock growth with that long-term brand um, as we come out of the period of recession. Um, so that's everything from us here today. Uh, thank you, Rick, um, for your time. I've really oh, enjoyed, been a pleasure. Really thank enjoyed you for the conversation. Um, it's been really great. We had a great uh, week at FWorks, um, and we're going to apply all of these um, concepts uh, in the coming months and share the agency and with our clients ourselves. You've been listening to Unmuddled by the Kite Factory. See you in the next episode. Yeah.